If you have your Bibles, grab them. Let's go. Acts chapter 11. Acts chapter 11. Grab your Bibles. I want to see some pages moving. If you don't have one, you can simply pull out your smart device, and then as you go to the place, just make the sound of pages rustling. Shh. I mean, whatever you got to do, okay? But I want you to come with me to Acts chapter 11. We're going to dive into a verse in just a few minutes that I think if we can grab this, it'll radically, radically change you, me, and our city, and our church. But before we do that, we're on a series called Just Like Barnabas, looking at one man who was not perfect, but allowed a perfect God to work through him. And one of the things we need to do before we dive deep into one point of his life, I want to give you a macro, blown-out version, timeline of his impact. Because one of the things you see with Barnabas, he's like the photobomber of the New Testament. How many of you know what it's what a photo bomber is or does. Any of you know? This is that friend, air quotes, who comes in and doesn't matter what the picture is, they always kind of jump in last minute and you've got half of their face in the picture. You know who I'm talking about? How many of you are that person in the church? Okay, very good. Good to know. But he's the photo bomber of the New Testament because wherever action is happening, Barnabas just seems to show up. When things are going on, he just seems to appear out of nowhere, like magic. And so let me give you just sort of a snapshot of his life. The very first moment we see Barnabas step on the scene, we looked at it, it's in chapter 4. The church is in a moment of turmoil. Their key leaders have been arrested, and things are just difficult. And on the scene pops a man, not named Barnabas, but Joseph. He is a Levite. He's from one of the 12 tribes of Israel. He's a Levite, and he's from the island of Cyprus. I'm going to show you where that is in a moment. His name is Joseph, but because he is such an encourager, he's given the nickname Barnabas, which literally means son of encouragement. And he sees the church that's in need, so he sells a field. By the way, I didn't get into this two weeks ago, three weeks ago when we talked about this. That was unheard of because your field was your family's inheritance, It was such a part of who you were that according to Old Testament law, your field, if you acquired someone else's field over the course of time, in the year of Jubilee, the 50th year, you would give back other people's land to them. It was significant. And yet he gives his field. He sells it, gives the money to the church because he wants to be a blessing to the church. See, being a Barnabas is more about not just the words you say, but what you do with your life. The church then undergoes this incredible season of persecution where the church begins to be attacked from outside because when you grow, people will throw stones. And there's this one man who steps on the scene by the name of Saul, a persecutor of the church, but God meets Saul. He becomes a follower, and his name goes from Saul to Paul. But the church doesn't know that this man named Saul has changed his life, and they're scared of him. They won't let him into the church. And so the second place we see Barnabas show up is in Acts chapter 9, when Saul wants to join the Jerusalem church, but they won't let him. So Barnabas goes to him, risking his reputation and his life, and says, you come with me. He vouched for Saul, so Saul could go from Saul to Paul with the church. And then in chapter 11, we see Barnabas once again, as the persecution spread, the Christians left Jerusalem and they traveled around the ancient world. And some of them went up to this city called Antioch. They shared the gospel of Jesus and Gentiles began to be saved. In fact, the reason that 
Barnabas goes to Antioch is because some of the ones who went to Antioch were from Cyprus. Where is Barnabas from? Cyprus. It's sort of like when you're visiting someone and you tell them where you're from. You say, I'm from Chattanooga. And they go, ah, I've got a friend who lives in Chattanooga. Do you know so-and-so? And you're like, no, Chattanooga's a big city. This is sort of like that. They're like, Barnabas, some of your people from Cyprus, it's a big island, but surely you know them, are up there reaching people. You go up and make sure that what's happening in Antioch is legitimate. So he goes to Antioch in chapter 11. And when he gets up there, he sees that what God is doing is incredible, so much so that he stays in Antioch. That becomes his new base of operation. But the church is young. It needs encouragement. It needs training. So he thinks, who do I know? who's a trainer, a teacher, knows the Old Testament, but also has Roman status, Gentile status. Who is Paul? So he goes and he finds Paul. Paul has gone back to Tarsus because he didn't feel like he was on the ends with the Christians in Jerusalem. So Barnabas goes and gets Paul from Tarsus, says, you've got to come back. And he brings Paul to the church in Antioch where he trains and teaches. Time out. Church, we need to be more interested, not simply with encouraging in a hands-off way, but bringing people in and saying, this is where God's gifting to you can bless others. And so they, they bless the church. And then, because the Gentile church there in Antioch hears that the church in Jerusalem is having a hard time, they do a collection, and they send Paul and Barnabas to Jerusalem, carrying the money to the Christians there in Jerusalem. Now, in chapter 12, Barnabas shows up yet again, but he goes back to Antioch, with Paul, and they bring this boy named John Mark. He's going to be very important in a few weeks when we get to that part of the Scripture. And then once they're back in Jerusalem, the church is having service like we are right now, and the Holy Spirit of God comes in and speaks through certain members of the church and says, choose Paul and Barnabas and send them out as missionaries. So in Acts chapter 13, all the way up through 14, Paul And Barnabas go on their first missionary journey around the known world, and they begin to share the gospel. In fact, here's a map showing you. They started in Antioch. They come down to Cyprus. This is where Barnabas is from. And then they go up into Asia Minor, and they have this fantastic experience meeting people. They go through some very difficult seasons as well. In fact, one of the things you'll notice is John Mark, who went with them, quickly quits because life gets hard. That'll come back later. So after they return to Antioch, There comes this issue while they were gone. There were some Jews who had been traveling around, going into Gentile churches, telling them that to be a Christian means that you cannot simply trust in Jesus, but you also have to become Jewish. You must be circumcised. Now, I'm not going to even touch that one this morning. Kids, if you have questions, your mom and dad would love to talk to you about it. Or our youth minister, Michael Chambers or Mitch Halstead. I'm just... They'll help you out, okay? All right, now, because this was such a big issue, and because the men who were Gentiles go, "Mm -mm," they send Paul and Barnabas back to Jerusalem where there's this great church meeting. It's the first big church conference in history, chapter 15 of Acts, where they're deciding, do you have to be circumcised to be saved, or is Jesus enough? And the whole church said, what? Jesus is enough. It's not Jesus plus anything for salvation. It's just Jesus. That's great news, isn't it? You don't have to have Jesus plus good works. Jesus plus good reputation. Jesus plus anything is not salvation. It's just Jesus. So the 
council sends them back up to Jerusalem and they say, yay, church, yay, God, it's just about Jesus. And they say, let's go on another trip. So Paul and Barnabas, they're planning this trip. And Barnabas says, hey, let's take John Mark again. And Paul, it's like the record stops. He goes, not a chance. He bailed when things got hard. I don't need that kind of weight in my boat. I don't need that kind of an anchor. And Barnabas says, no, 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 we got to give him another shot because I'm the encourager. Your past does not dictate your future. I want him to come with us. And they have such a difference of opinion that they part ways. Saul takes Silas, and they go. Barnabas takes John Mark, and then Scripture goes silent. We don't know what happens next to Barnabas. That's the last we hear of him. But in a few weeks, you'll see that that's not the end of his influence. In fact, his influence is still rippling through today. I'm not going to tell you how just yet, but I want to give you that teaser. Now, when you look at this, you go, man, how is it that one guy just so happened to be at all these right places? How is it that one man got so lucky to see such monumental moments and see what God is up to? And here's what I want to tell you. It was not luck. It was not happenstance. The reason Barnabas has an oversized impact in church history is because of the one verse we're going to look at this morning. In fact, this one verse, if you want to summarize Barnabas' life, it's the one verse we're going to look at today. If you want to summarize the life of any successful follower of Christ, it's this one verse. If you want to have an outsized impact in your life, if you don't want to lay on your deathbed and regret life, this one verse needs to become the heartbeat of your life. Here it is. In chapter 11, verse 24, we're told this of Barnabas. He was a good man. Now notice this. Full of the Holy Spirit and faith. And a great number of people were brought to the Lord. If you want the kind of impact, a life without regret, The sense that God is up to something, it begins not with you doing more, but being full more of God's presence, God's Spirit. Here's why. Every one of us knows this one truth. Everyone's life is full of something. Everyone's life is. And here's how I know this is true. Because when I ask you the question, how's life? You respond with this one small four-letter word. I'll say, how's life? And you'll say, busy. It's busy. I've got stuff going tomorrow morning. I got to get up at this time. We got to have the kids school at this time. We got to get to work at this time. We've got this appointment, this job, this interaction. We've got this appointment. We've got all these things. Life is so busy. Do you know another word for busy? It's full. There's more going on than time to do it. But here's what you need to know. A life of oversized impact is not about being busy. It's about being effective. What you are full of, what you are full of, will dictate what kind of life you have. In fact, every life is full of something. And the way you know what it is, it's based on how we fill our time and our minds. Your life, the kind of life you live is completely, hear me now, wake up for three seconds then go back to sleep. Your life and the impact you have is determined by what you fill your mind and your time with. 
The thoughts you think today determine the tomorrow you will have. How you schedule your tomorrow will determine the kind of Tuesday you have. Are you following me? And if you miss this obvious but often ignored truth, you will go through life wondering why you feel so busy and empty. Barnabas lived a life of meaning because he was full, but not just full of stuff. He didn't allow his calendar to be dictated by others. He filled himself with the presence of God. He allowed himself to be filled with the Spirit of God. And as a result, he poured out to others what was in him. Because here's the truth. What is in you will come out of you. What is in you will come out of you. And so here's the question. Here's the question. What was in Barnabas, again, we've already said this, but what was in him? It was the presence, the power, the person of God, the Spirit of God. And here's the good news, church. In Acts chapter 2, we're told it's not just Barnabas who may receive the presence of God. This is great news. I want you to hear this this morning. I want you to know that God has given you a gift. If you are in Christ, that God has given you not simply good news, He's given you His presence. That the Spirit of the living God, if you are in Christ, then Christ is in you. This is, I don't think the ceiling's going to fall. Christ is not simply the one who cheers you on, but the presence of God lives in you. Is that good news to anyone else? See, this is the thing, what is in you will come out of you. So quick question, why is it that certain things come out of us that we wish didn't come out of us? Because whatever we think about, whatever we fill our minds with and our time with is what will ultimately be produced in us. The Holy Spirit was what filled Barnabas. Let me show you what this means. The presence of, the, of God himself. See, the Holy Spirit in Scripture is the comforter. He's the one who gives you comfort. This is why Barnabas, when people needed comfort, just happened to know how to give comfort because he had the presence of God's comfort in him. God convicts, meaning God tells us what is right and what is wrong. Isn't it interesting that Barnabas says, no, we need to give John Mark another shot because the one who convicts was filling him. He is the counselor. The Holy Spirit gives you wisdom of how to live life right. So Barnabas knows how to interact with people. The Holy Spirit guides us, helps us. He shows us how to live. He mediates between us and God. So when you don't know how to share your heart with God, the Spirit of God says this is your heart to God. It's the Spirit of God that gives you spiritual gifts, the ability to do things that you cannot do on your own. It's the Holy Spirit who produces fruit in your life of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So if when life pushes me, this doesn't spill out, I have to ask the question, am I full of the Spirit or something else? See, here's the difference of Barnabas and so many of us. Barnabas was full of the Spirit, yet most of us leak. Most of us leak. Isn't this true? Barnabas, he's full of Spirit. And yet, here's what's so interesting. He is one of the only people in Scripture, when introduced, it's said of him that he was full of the Spirit. Yet, most other people in Scripture, when it speaks of them having the Spirit, it'll say, so-and-so, being filled with the Spirit, began to teach. Or so-and-so being filled with the Spirit began to lead. But then what you see is it's this temporary, momentary um, empowerment. But then something happens and the filling 
begins to leak. This is what happens with most of us. Isn't this true? You'll have that moment of clarity, that moment of inspiration, that moment of empowerment, and you say the right word at the right time. You encourage the right person the right way. You give in a way that is sacrificial and beneficial, and then you get on the interstate, and your Spirit of God just leaks everywhere, doesn't it? It's that moment, friends, when you are on the interstate. By the way, I'm just confession time. Can I confess to the church, by the way? Is that okay? Is this a church where we can be honest about life? Okay, good, because if we aren't, then I'm leaving right now, and I'm not being funny. The church has to be a place where we can talk honestly about what matters. But so, so years ago, I can remember, isn't it interesting how your children always just pick up on the things that you really wish they wouldn't remember and hear? And then they're like little recorders, like, let's play that again, let's play that again. Let's, it's like, no, let's not. I can remember Stephen in the backseat, little dude, he's just learning to talk. I'm driving, guy cuts me off. And then it's not like a bad word, but I just like, you stupid. And my little boy's like, you stupid. I'm like, what? Then we get home, and what does he decide to do? Let's hear it again. Hey, mommy, you stupid. I'm like, no. Let's hear it again at church. Hey, guess what daddy said? When something comes out of me that is not holy, it's not that I try harder, but i got to figure out how to get what God wants in me in me. Do you follow? And if you're not getting the kind of results you want, don't try harder, but go back to the source that you desperately need, friend. One of the biggest lies from the enemy to Christians and to those who are trying to begin following Christ is that you are the one who makes your life better. That if you just try harder, the reason Barnabas is this way is he just was naturally gifted. He was just naturally inclined. So you got to just try harder. That couldn't be further from the truth. So how do we do what Barnabas did? How do we get more of the Spirit? I want to give you two things this morning. Write these down. Here's the first thing. Number one, you need to meet with Jesus daily. Now listen, I don't need to tell you that time with God is important, but let me tell you what I do need you to understand. That if it's true, most of us leak. What ends up happening is we come to church on Sunday, and we're like a tire with a puncture in it. You come, you get pumped up, Lord willing, you go through the week, and the pressure of life squeezes the air out, the pneuma, the breath, the wind, the Spirit of God seems to just seep from you, so you come back in on Sunday next week saying, I need a refill. Now hear me, I hope you're encouraged, but if you're only getting filled up on the weekends, no wonder you feel empty during the week. You and I were never meant to have simply one meal a week, church. Be like the hobbits. How many of you know Lord of the Rings? Come on, show me the nerd hands. The hobbits, they don't just have breakfast or lunch and supper. What do they have? They got first breakfast, second breakfast, and what else? Levensies. You got food coming all the time. In other words, as a follower of Jesus, don't wait for Sunday to be filled and fed. Fill yourself and feed yourself on the Word of God. Let Him be the one that permeates your mind, your thought, your heart, your actions, your intentions, your desires. Let Him reveal what is right, what is wrong, so you can walk in the path of life, friend. I, years ago, I saw this great thing. I thought this was so cool. I saw this little magic spigot, magic faucet. You know what these are? Oh, let me show you a really big version. Have you seen this thing? This is a real-life full-size one of a little toy I saw in Gatlinburg. By the way, Gatlinburg, great place to get everything you want and nothing you need, okay? So, 
this one huge one. I was like, this is incredible. How does it just keep pouring water? I mean, there's nothing there. What's going on? And and from a distance, it looks as though it has this inexhaustible, self-sustaining source of water. And yet, when you get close to it, you'll, you'll notice that inside there, there's a clear plastic pipe that is pumping the water up and then spilling out over itself. But from a distance, it looks like it's producing it all on its own. See, at a distance, we look at Barnabas and go, how does he do that? He's just this wellspring of encouragement. I can never be that. And the answer is, of course you can't, but neither could Barnabas. He had an invisible source that was constantly filling him up so that when he was around others, he had something to give. This is why our Savior even speaks of this. In John chapter 4, when he's meeting a woman who is thirsty, who needs filling, who's empty from the life that has squeezed life out of her, and Jesus says in John chapter 4, if you knew the gift of God, what gift? The gift of God's forgiveness, grace, His Holy Spirit power. If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, woman, you would have asked Him, that's talking about Jesus, and Jesus would have given you living water. He goes on with this phrase, he says, the water I give them, who's them? Anyone who's thirsty. Anyone who says, I need more, I'm empty, I try to give, but I have nothing to give. The water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. It's like this never-ending flow of the presence of God, the gift of God. So when I walk into any situation, I have received from him so I'm able to give to others. See, what I have is what I will give. What you have is what you'll give. Which means you need to be with the Lord daily. So when you're with the Lord, what does that mean? You need three things when you're with the Lord. Number one, you need a time. Number two, you need a place. Number three, you need a plan. A time, a place, a plan. What do I mean? If it's not scheduled, it won't happen. If it's not written down, it's not a priority. You need to know we schedule what's important to us. Not simply because it's important, but to block out everything else that may seem important but is less important. So, for instance, tomorrow morning, Monday at 8 o'clock, every Monday at 8 o'clock, my mom, who lives in Nashville, she and I will turn on our phones and we will FaceTime each other and we'll have a cup of coffee together from cities away. About 15, 20 minutes. Here's what's going on. Here's happening. And if you look at my calendar every Monday, 8 a.m., that time's blocked off. Why? Because the relationship is important and the time is important. Friend, you have a time where you say, this is for me and God. Someone says, Josh, can you get together at 8 a.m. on Monday? Nope. Got something going on. What is it that you've already blocked out for God so if life presses in and says, hey, do you have time for this? You You say, no, I've got the God who fills me up and this is an appointment I cannot miss. You need a time, but you also need a place. You need a sacred spot that you know when you're here, you are with the Lord and nothing else, nothing else gets to encroach. It needs to be distraction-free. For instance, Lindsay and I have a couple of different places in our marriage that are sort of like, oh, we love this place to go together. For one of the places, it's the restaurant Tony's. We love Tony's. Anyone else been to Tony's? It's God's gift to pasta eaters. We love it. But it's a place where when we go in there, there's just something about that space that says this is for us. Nothing else gets to step in. This is just for us. You need a time. You need a place. And number three, you need a plan. Haven't you heard the phrase, if you fail to plan, you what? You plan to fail. So this morning, my boy, Stephen, he got up early with me. We came to church together and we were just visiting. And every morning he does his own Bible study. We've just taught him. That's what you do in the morning. Get with God. And so he does soap, scripture, 
observation, application, prayer. And he's doing John chapter 21. That's the final chapter in John. And he says, Dad, what do I do next? I'm like, great question. And so we talked about it. So tomorrow morning when he enters his time with God, he already has his plan. If you do not know where you're going to meet, when you're going to meet, or how you're going to meet, you will not meet. But to get the most out of your time to receive the filling of God's presence, you need a time, a place, and a plan to meet with God every day. So when you come on Sunday, yes, be encouraged. But you don't come simply to be pumped up. You come to bless others and to celebrate the wins that God has given you throughout the week. Do you understand? Sunday is not simply an encouragement day. It is a celebration of God's work throughout the week. Give me an uh uh-huh if you believe that. And by the way, it's the people who meet with God daily who come in here most excited to celebrate because they know what he's up to. So number one, meet with Jesus daily. And if you want the filling of the Spirit of God, don't simply meet with him daily. But now, number two, ask God's Spirit to fill every part of you. See, if I'm honest Sometimes we're like homes that have rooms that are blocked off or locked off from guests. If you come to my house, you're going to see the better parts. I'm going to clean up certain things, but we've got a Mr. Magoo's closet. Anyone get that old reference? If you don't, we'll just talk later. Basically, it's a closet. You open it and everything blows out. We've got a space where we hide certain things, put certain things up so the rest of the house looks nice. But when the Lord God enters the house of your home, he does not say, show me the pretty parts. He says, show me the closets that need cleaned out. And if you want the presence of God, you need to invite him into every place and every space and say, you have full run, God. This is why Paul says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, these words, Do not quench or stifle or stiff arm the spirit, but rather hold on to what is good and reject every kind of evil. In other words, you hold on to the good, you resist and reject the bad. Now, here's where some of us get it wrong. We assume this means we have to try harder. That can be further from the truth. And I saw a video this week that really just sort of captured this idea. I want to show you a video. Can I show you a video? Be okay? Yeah, so my family, we love watching silly videos on YouTube, and we came across this channel this week. Great channel. It's, here's the concept. What if animals were round like balls? What would they look like? What, if animals were like balls, what would they look like? What would they do? And we saw this video, and I thought, this is the picture. Are you ready? T- take a look at this. See, when he comes in, he pushes it out, all the stuff out, doesn't he? He is the pressure washer of your soul. He is the one who comes in. It's not you try harder, friend. It's you simply invite the presence of God, and he will do the work. Unlock the doors. Don't keep them closed out. If you want the filling of God's power, if you want a life that when it's over, you don't regret your decisions, and the missed opportunities. Today, simply say, God, fill every part of my life because I can't get rid of the junk, but as I open myself to you, you will come in and you will push out the garbage, the mess, the habitual sins, 
the fear, the rejection, the shame. You and you alone have the power to turn my life around and cleanse me from the inside out because what you are full of is what will come out of you. This is how he did it. So two things that we've talked about. Meet with Jesus daily. Friend, do you have a time, a place, and a plan? If you don't, I'll talk to you. You meet me out here. I'll help you figure out a plan. Do you have a place? And number two, ask God's Spirit to fill you. And you don't have to wait till tomorrow morning to do that. So, so let's do this. We're going to do just a moment of exercise here, a moment of response. Here's the question I want you to pause, and we're going to give you about 30 seconds to ponder and think through this before we pray together, but here it is. With what am I filling my time and my mind? What's the thing right now that if you were to kind of categorize what you're up to and what's taking center says, what is it? What, what is the thing that preoccupies your thought life? So I want to invite you, just go ahead and get your feet comfortable. We're going to reflect, and I'm going to invite you to tell God for a moment. Go ahead, sit up, lean over if you need to, close your eyes. If you're like me, sometimes I just need to open my hands because it's a symbol of saying, I receive your forgiveness, your help, your grace. But let's just talk to him for a minute and ask him. Talk to him now, and then we'll pray in a moment. you to think about what what thoughts come to your mind the most. When you finish the sentence, I am blank, what, what is it that you fill in there? Is it I am ashamed? Is it I am guilty? Does your mind race back to a moment that you're embarrassed by or something you've done? If you are a child of God, then what I'm inviting you to do is fill that moment, fill that blank, not with I am bad, but fill it with I am forgiven. I am the bearer of the presence of God, and he loves me. He died for me. Consider your time. What is it that fills your time and presses out the things you wish it didn't? Consider the things that maybe you need to cut out and the things you need to begin investing in. because your Father in heaven longs to be with you. So Father, with every eye closed, every head bowed, and every heart open to you, we simply receive your filling. We receive what you say is true about us. That we're not anxious about living this life, trying to achieve and conquer and be where we need to be, but simply to be open to your filling so that as life happens, we just so happen to be where you want us to be. Holy Spirit, we ask for your grace and your help in remembering who we are. Fill us. And Lord, for those today who have yet to say yes to Jesus in baptism, we ask that you would meet them now, that your spirit would, yes, convict, but also encourage saying, this is not the end of your story, this is the first step. And as we step forth from this place, please go with us and lead us. In Jesus' name, amen.